So glad that you are here today. Um, I want to apologize for getting a little tongue-tied during those baptisms. And let me tell you something. I wear waders, okay? I'm the only one that wears waders. Everybody else wears a swimsuit or whatever. And as I was baptizing Jeremy, I had a little water get into my waders. Um, and when that happens, that kind of throws you for a loop a little bit. So I apologize for that. Um, this morning, we are continuing our Jesus is Better sermon series. Over the past several weeks, we have looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and we've looked at um, the different faith champions and, and their accomplishments and, and how the Lord just really singled them out for, for, for what they did because of their act of faith. Now, this morning, the writer is going to change course. He's no longer going to address the faith champions of the past. He now once again addresses the character of those within the church and calls them to something specific. He specifically is going to address the topic of discipline. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like discipline? Raise your hand if you like discipline. None of us. How many of you like to give out discipline? Anybody like to receive discipline? Most of us know, right? We don't like discipline at all. In the first hour, right before the service started, I was talking to one of our gentlemen in, in the church, and he's not in here, so I'll mention his name. His name's Tom Griffin. And Tom was sharing, um, we were talking about parenting and talking about what, how school is different today than it was back when we were in school. Back when we were in school, there was this thing called the Board of Education. Um, and it was used to correct us when we got out of hand. Well, Tom bragged about the fact that he, he got about four or five licks a week. Um, and so he became the, the, the focal point of, of um, this part of my message. You know, no one likes discipline, okay? The reason we get discipline because we're a little hard-headed. And Tom, if you know him, you know that he's a little hard-headed. Max Lucado wrote a book called Just Like Jesus. And in that book, he wrote, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you there. He wants you to be just like Jesus. That is God's desire for all of us in this room, that we would be just like Jesus. When I was in college, I read a book um, by an author by the name of Charles Sheldon. The name of that book was In His Steps. And many of you are familiar with that. Um, in that book, the, the writer um, talks about a preacher who challenged his congregation um, to do nothing without first asking themselves the question, what would Jesus do? You remember that saying? Remember that? You know, there was bracelets, those gummy bracelets, some cloth bracelets, T-shirts, hats. I think there's even a movie called What Would Jesus Do or WWJD. You know, that's a good question to ask ourselves before we do something, right? How much trouble would we keep ourselves from getting into if we would just ask ourselves right from the beginning, what would Jesus do? Well, in the 90s and, and, and 2000, this became part of our vernacular. May it return to being part of our vernacular. We ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? Notice this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11 together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. We read these words. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggles against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father's spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did you notice how many times the word discipline is mentioned in these verses? It is mentioned nine different times. You think the Lord is trying to make a point this morning? You think the writer of Hebrews was trying to get something across to his readers? Here's our message point this morning. It is this. Discipline is useful for correction and training. Discipline is useful for correction and training. Notice our first point this morning. It is remember Jesus. We, we, we concluded last week with verse 3, but I wanted us to begin here this morning because it, it really leads in well to verse 4. But we read in verse 3 again, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, here's what we know, okay? We know that Jesus endured much for us, right? We know that he suffered much because of his love for each and every one of us in this room. And because of our sin and because of the work of Christ on the cross, the writer tells us to consider Jesus. Last week in Hebrews 12, 2, the, the, the writer says, Look to Jesus. Some of your translation says, fix your eyes on Jesus. You and I need to look to Jesus, don't we? It's not something that we do every once in a while, but it's something that we need to do consistently. When you and I experience struggles in life, we need to look to Jesus. When you and I experience persecution in life, we need to look to Jesus. When you and I experience suffering in life, we need to look to Jesus. When you and I experience storms in life, we need to look to Jesus. When you and I go through sickness in life, we need to look to Jesus. Why do we need to look to Jesus? Because you and I are not only offered salvation by having faith in Jesus, but we can also know that when we think that we have it bad here on earth, it does not even remotely compare to what Jesus went through for us because of his great love for us. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated and showed his love for us. Jesus endured the cross for us. The pain of the cross, the suffering on the cross, the ridicule from the cross. Jesus endured all of that pain because of his obedience to the mission that he was given by his Father 
So in light of what Christ endured and in light of the great champions of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11, we come to verse 4. And in verse 4, we read, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggles, in my struggles, you and I have not gotten to the point where we have shed our blood as a result of taking a stand for Jesus Christ. Now, in the first century, there may be some within this church that the writer wrote to that may have suffered a little bit for the sake of Christ. But what they were pretty much guaranteed of as they went throughout their lives, they were going to experience extreme persecution. Under Nero, the Roman emperor, they would experience many believers, hundreds upon hundreds of believers would die as a result of their faith. Yes, times were bad. Yes, believers were dying for their faith. Yes, persecution would potentially afflict affect the believers written to not only in the first century but throughout human history times are bad but the writer makes it clear that death had not yet come to them and so what does he do he encourages them and tells them to keep fighting to keep their eyes fixed on jesus to keep running the race that is set out before us as we looked at last week so let's keep running let's keep fighting notice our next point we see here we are called to remember the scriptures In verse 5, the first part of this verse says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten? Let me ask you a question. How many of you throughout your life at one point or another forgot something? Yeah, most of us probably forgot something this morning. But how many of you forgot the instruction that you were given as you grew up? Raise your hand. Caitlin Womack, yeah, absolutely. You better have your hand up back there. All of us have been there. I remember, and I've shared this story with you before, but I remember in the second grade, um, there was a fire drill. And, and as a class, we left out of the school, and we lined up along that um, sidewalk. And I remember, for some reason, my mouth filled up with saliva. And I had to do something with that saliva, and so I spit on the ground. And so the teacher comes marching right over to me, and I'm sure that she said very, very nicely, Chad, if you spit again, you're going to get a spanking. Well, she walks away, and I probably didn't think that she was looking, but as all teachers do, they have eyes in the back of their head. She saw me spit again. What were the consequences of that? I got introduced that day for the first time to the Board of Education within the public school system. Um, Had I forgotten the warning that the teacher had issued, I have no idea if I forgot or what happened there. But what I do remember is the punishment that I received. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have learned more from the punishment than you have the warning? Probably all of us, right? Because the punishment is given to us to correct the wrong that we have done. And when we think about God's discipline for us, we need to know that it is a loving discipline given to us to help correct us for the wrongs that we have done, the things that we have done that have gone against God's will for our lives. The writer of Hebrews, what he does is he reaches back into Scripture, and he tells them to remember the Scriptures that they should already have known. 
You know, every man, every woman, every student, every child would have been, been raised around the Scripture. They would have known this passage of Scripture. But in Proverbs 3, that is the passage of Scripture that the writer quotes from. Proverbs three eleven through 12, we read, My son, do not regret, regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. These are very much words of instruction given to us by the Lord. The writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, is writing to his son and encouraging his son and offering up instruction to his son. None of us like discipline, but we know that discipline is often necessary. I didn't like getting licks in school. Okay? I didn't like getting them by my teachers or by my coaches. I didn't like when I would get home receiving additional punishment because it's one of those deals, if you get in trouble at school, you're going to get in trouble at home. Been there, done that? Anybody? Remember that? Well, that's what happened with me. You know, each of those licks and each of those groundings that I was given as I was growing up were given to me to make me better. Every time Caitlin is sent to her room and grounded, it is for her good. It's not for my pleasure, it's for her good. One writer shared, God is raising us as his children to bring us into conformity to his word. Isn't that, isn't that good news there? I mean, just look at that. God is raising us as his children to bring us into conformity of his world his word. That's what God's desire for us is, is that we would take God's word and allow God's word to transform us into the men, women, students, and children that he created us to be. David, Donald Guthrie observes, a father who neglects to discipline a son is deficient in his capacity as father, and a son who escapes all discipline is losing out on his sonship. As parents, we discipline our children. One day, our children will be parents, and they will discipline their children for their good, not for their own pleasure. Discipline also denotes training. All of us know what training looks like. We spend our childhood um, training in the area of academia or in the arts or in athletics. Um, We went on to college or went on to technical school or developed a trade where where we really narrowed down um, that discipline that we wanted to be a part of our lives, right? Um, in, in the world of academia, when you think about discipline, you don't go around, you go, a lot of times you'll go around to other people and say, what is your discipline? Well, that person you ask that question to, they're not going to say, well, my punishment is this, are they? They're going to tell you what they spent years and years and years of their lives studying and, and becoming masters at um, and excelling at in that area is what they are going to do. Discipline is also used in athletics. Think about the hours and hours that are spent preparing for the big game or the big race. If a runner or athlete is not disciplined in their preparation, they will certainly fail when it comes to executing, right? As believers, we should be spending our lives preparing ourselves spiritually for the race that is before us. We need to be taking God's word, hiding God's word in our heart. We need to be taking God's word and sharing his word with other people. We need to allow God's word to transform us so that when the things of this life comes our way, 
not only are we able to turn to God's word for encouragement, but we are also able to share God's word with other people. Here's what we know. Storms are going to come in life. Struggles are going to come in life. Sacrifices will need to be made in life. If you are not spiritually ready for that, those moments, then there is a chance you could fall flat on your face and experience the defeat from the enemy. Um, yesterday, after we finished the men's breakfast, I went home and, and um, my loving wife has us getting up about 5 o'clock every, or about 4.45 every morning and going out for a, a run. And um, I love her, but I don't love her a whole lot at 4.45 in the morning. I just want you to know that. Several, um, about a month or more ago, um, we were out on one of these runs, and I wasn't paying attention as I was running. And we came to an uneven part of the sidewalk. And guess what happened? My toe clipped that sidewalk, and I just face-planted. I scraped up my leg, I scraped up my arm, I scraped up my hands. And ever since that moment, every morning since then, I have consciously been aware of, of when that sidewalk um, is going to come up in, in our run. Well, yesterday I went after our men's breakfast for a run. My mind was somewhere else. And so I'm running around this turn, and guess what happens? My foot catches that curb, and I face-planted again. How many times has a particular sin in your life, same sin, tripped you up? Probably quite often, right? How do we keep ourselves from being tripped up from that, by that sin? We keep our eyes on Jesus, right? We prepare ourselves spiritually for the race that is set before us. We listen to the Lord, we, we accept his correction and his discipline, and we try to go and do it no more, and sin no more is what Jesus said um, multiple times to those that he would heal. All of us are going to experience testing in our life. All of us are going to experience those fiery darts going to be hurled our way by the devil. He's going he's gonna to try to trip us up every single day. We're all going to experience situations where we are going to be left with the decision. How we respond to that decision or that testing gives evidence of our faith. I love um, James chapter 1. In verses 2 through 8, we read, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what should we do when we are faced with trials? What should we do when we are going through tough times in life? We should pray to the Lord, right? We should turn to the Lord. We should seek the wisdom of the Lord. And what are we told in this passage of Scripture? That the Lord, if we ask Him for wisdom, the Lord will give us wisdom generously. May it be said of all of us that when we go through these trials and struggles, we turn to the Lord and ask Him for strength. Notice our third point is this. Understand the purpose of the discipline. 
in, 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 in chapter or verse 7 and beyond, it says, if it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirit and live? Notice who the Lord disciplines. He disciplines his children, doesn't he? Here's what our first subpoint said is discipline proves we are his children. I have two kids. Connor is a sophomore in college. Caitlin's a senior in high school. Both of my kids have received discipline from Danny and I on more than one occasion. What kind of parents would we have been if we did not correct them when they messed up? What kind of a father would I be if I did not correct my children when they backtalked their mom? What kind of parents would Danny and I have been if we did not correct our children when they ran out into the road without looking to the right and the left? What kind of parents would we have been if, if while we were at Walmart and one of our kids collapsed to the ground and began to spin around and cry because they did not get that toy that they wanted? How many of you have ever been there and, and, and seen that at Walmart or Target or something like that? How many of your kids ever did that? Okay, I bet you they only did it once, didn't they? Because after that, you corrected them, right? But what kind of parents would we have been if we would, every time we went to Walmart, we gave them their way if they would just drop on the ground and spin around? What kind of parents would we have been if we did not um, tell our kids that they had to do their homework? What kind of parents would we have been if we told our kids, hey, you can stay out as late as you want and do whatever you want? No consequences whatsoever. We wouldn't be very good parents, would we? Here's the thing about the discipline I gave my children. They deserved most of what they received. But they certainly did not receive all the discipline that they deserved. That can be said of our relationship with God the Father, right? Aren't you glad that our God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we did not get the punishment that we deserved, which is eternal death? but we were given the opportunity to receive the free gift of eternal life through faith in Christ. Notice our next sub-point. A lack of discipline proves we are not his child. In verse 8, we read, If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Let's be honest. Some of you in this room have been the recipients of discipline by an unloving and abusive parent. That is reprehensible. And if I could go back in time to correct that wrong that was done to you, with you, I would certainly do that. Some of you in this room, you actually raised yourselves and you never experienced real discipline because you did not have a parent figure in your life to correct you when you messed up. I'm going to tell you now, you turned out okay, all right? Aren't you grateful for that? What we know is this, a sign of God's love is correction. He corrects us, his children. He uses his word to correct us. He uses the Holy Spirit to correct us. He uses other people to correct us. He uses a parent or a grandparent to correct us. He uses life circumstances also to correct us, doesn't he? 
What he does not do is he does not correct those who are not his children. What does he do? He punishes them. And one day, if they refuse to believe in Christ and enter into a a, a father-son relationship with him, then they will be punished to eternal death. God does not punish on this side of eternity those who are not his children. You know, Connor and Caitlin, they've had many, many friends over at our house over the years. We've gathered around dinner tables, gathered around tables in restaurants. We've gone on vacation with them. And, and the thing that I have never done is I have never disciplined one of their friends. I've wanted to, okay, but I've never done that because it's not my job to discipline those kids because I am not their parent, right? God disciplines his children. And if you are his child, then accept his discipline as correction and right the wrong and move on. Next, we see here, as a child of God, we are to submit to him. In verse 9, we read, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? As a result of the discipline that we received from God, we should be grateful. We should not get angry with it. We should be grateful that he loves us so much that he's willing to show us a better way. Finally, we see with our last point, understand the reward of discipline. In verses 10 through 11, we read, For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice right here at the beginning of this, it says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best. Okay, I love my dad, okay? But my dad does not discipline me anymore, okay? When my mom was still alive, when I was in my 30s, she made it clear that she would still discipline me if I get out of hand, okay? Some of you have been there, and some of your moms may still discipline you, but I got to the point where I was no longer disciplined by my parents, They did it for a season in my life. But here is good news for all of us in this room. Our parents discipline us for a season, but guess what? God the Father disciplines us over the course of our life. Why does he do this? Is it because he doesn't love us? No, he does it because he loves us, and he wants us to be more like him. We see here there is a purpose behind his discipline. Discipline develops holiness. In 1210b we read, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. The purpose of God's discipline within our lives is to develop us into his image. Holiness means to be set apart. What God is doing when he disciplines us is he is setting us apart to be like him. What what did Jesus tell tell us as we read through the sermon on the mount? to be perfect as I am perfect. What did um, we read in, in the book of Leviticus and other parts of the Old Testament that we are called to holiness? Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God desires for all of us in this room to be holy and set apart unto him. Correction develops holiness. Notice next, God's discipline produces fruitfulness. Here the writer provides us with a picture of an athlete. Let me read this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I remember back in the day when I was in and, and, and played football. We had these practices that were called two-a-days. Y'all remember two-a-days? You had two-a-days for football. Some of you had, like, I don't know what the deal was with band. Any band members in here? Y'all didn't have two-a-days. Y'all had, like, a one-a-day, and it started, like, at 6 a.m., and it finished, like, at midnight. I don't know how UIL allowed band to be out on the field as long as they did, but football players, we at least only had two-a-days a couple hours at a time for those practices. But I remember those two-a-days. I couldn't stand them. They were hot. They were miserable. They were painful. We had to run and run and run. We had to do drill after drill after drill, and it was not fun. But you know whenever it became fun? It became fun when we were able to to have that first game and go against an opposing team. Because when we went across, uh, against that opposing team, everything that we had been taught during two days and over the course of those practices leading up to that first game had prepared us for the battle that we were about to, to experience um, on, on the football field. For you, it was at band, it was volleyball, basketball, and, and et cetera. It was not fun in the beginning, but making that tackle that prevented a touchdown made it well worth it. God's discipline is not fun on day one. But when you step back and you look back at your life and see God's grace on full display in your life, that's when discipline is well worth it, right? Think back on your life and think about the correction that you have received from the Lord. That correction wasn't harmful punishment, was it? It was it was correction that was aimed at protecting you and making you better, right? Allow God's discipline in your life to develop holiness and fruitfulness is what we see here. In closing this morning, let me just challenge all of us again to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. If it takes asking yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? Ask yourself, what would Jesus do in that situation if that helps make you holy? Keep the word in front of you and close to you at all times. Also remember, there is a purpose behind God's discipline. There is a purpose behind a loving parent's discipline as well. God's discipline develops holiness in our lives and produces fruitfulness in our lives. Let's be holy as Christ is holy. Let's be fruitful people that go throughout life being, you know, back here, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. Let's be that kind of people that demonstrate the fruitfulness of Christ wherever it is that we might go. You may be here this morning, and if you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You may be joining us online this morning. And if you were to die, you do not know if you would go to heaven or to hell. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to repent of your sins and to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you have never done that, if you're joining us online, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning, and, and, and you may need to, during this time of invitation, just to take a moment to pray and to seek the Lord. You may be living your life in a rebellious manner, and today may be the day that you need to accept God's discipline and His correction in your life and right the wrongs that you have done and put your eyes on Jesus instead of the things of this world. Let's stand together. And if the Lord is leading you, I want to invite you to come. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for this morning. Thanking you, Father, for allowing us to gather around your word. Thank you, Father. Just Lord, this is one of those topics that, that's kind of hard to preach because none of us like to be disciplined. No, none of us like to have a finger pointed at us telling us that you've messed up. But, Father, we thank you for li- being a loving God who loved us so much that you came and dwelt among us and provided a way for us to be forgiven for our sins. Lord, if there is someone here today that does not have a relationship with you, may today be the day of their salvation. If there's someone here this morning that needs to get their lives right with you and get their lives righted and 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 go from following things of this world to following after you i pray that they'll do that this morning they may need me to pray with them and i would love to do that they may need another believer in this room to come alongside them and pray with them this morning they may need to just take a few moments during this time of invitation just to turn to you and pray there may be some here this morning lord that you're leading to make friendship your their church home we pray that they'll do that as well Lord, move now during this time of invitation. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come, you come.